0: Hello, Grace family. Here we are. We've moved into a new year, and it's hard to believe that we've been actually doing community and church through these videos for almost 10 months now. And if you've been with us that whole time, I just want to tell you that we love you and we value you. We're grateful that you're still with us and that you're still worshiping together, even in this um, uncommon way. Um, But we just want to remind you how much you're a vital part of our community and you're important to us. And that said, as we moved into the new year, and many of the challenges of 2020 have followed us into the new year, both in our nation and our world, it's just a perfect time for us to set our hearts anew, to ask God to renew our mind and heart, and to set a right spirit within us. So we're just going to take some time this morning to pray through an adapted Puritan prayer to set our hearts anew, to ask God to renew us. So let's do that together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we thank you that you offer us a love that is beyond compare. You are good to us when you give to us, and we acknowledge that you are good to us when you take away. When the sun shines upon us, or when the night gathers over us, you are good. You have loved each one of us since the foundation of the world, and by your love we have been redeemed. You continue to love each of us, despite our hard hearts, ingratitude, and distrust. Your goodness has been with us throughout 2020, leading us through the twisting wilderness, and your goodness will be with us in the year ahead. You will lead us in our future, just as you have led us in our past. We are grateful that you have kept our eyes from actually seeing the waters ahead. We can live fully in today, in this moment. If you have appointed storms of tribulation, you have promised to be with us in them. If we are to pass through persecution, you will be with us. When we face temptation, your spirit will guide us. Renew our hearts, Lord, set a right spirit within us. Glorify yourself in us whether in comfort or trial may we be vessels for you to always use amen
1: you take Salvation, Christ alone.
0: So as we begin this series on God's kingdom, we'll be in Matthew 4, 12 through 17, so join along with me. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what he had said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Well, good morning, Grace family, and Happy New Year. It's been nice to have a couple weeks off, and I'm grateful to be teaching again. And this morning, we're going to start a series that actually Todd Pickett began in a way last week. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And it's a series that will take us the next three months straight up into Easter Sunday. But I want to just take the beginning of this year to talk about what what is God's kingdom all about? How do we live within that kingdom ourselves? And then how do we bear witness to that kingdom to those around us? And the context, of course, is we find ourselves caught in the conflict of various kingdoms these days, don't we? With their own agendas and priorities and and visions of the world that are in conflict with one another and conflict with God, and we find ourselves just kind of caught in all of these various kingdoms. And so, I want to ask the question what does it mean uh, to live within God's kingdom? What is that all about? What does God have for us in this world? And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew uh, groups some of Jesus' teaching into three main blocks of teaching. So, first, you have his kingdom sermon, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, in chapters 5 to 7. And then in chapter 13, he has a bunch of parables on the kingdom. And then in chapters 23 and 25, he ends with what I'll call uh, warnings of the kingdom. And so we're going to look at these three blocks of teaching, and together they paint a pretty broad vision for what life in God's kingdom is all about. And just for starters, when I use that word kingdom, I'm simply just thinking about, and I want you to be thinking about, when we hear that word, we're talking about the rule of the king. (laughs) We're talking about when God's good rule is made evident. You know, Jesus' famous prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So really, God's kingdom has to do with its will. It's where what God wants done is done, where his effective will uh, is done, his priorities, his values, his sensibility, where those are reigning, Um, that's what I mean by the kingdom. And of course, um, ultimately, the kingdom in its fullness, we wait for the future for that, at the return of the king, when Jesus will set all things right. But what we see in the gospels is that future kingdom even breaking in now in the person of Jesus, as he brings his vision and his values and his sensibilities into our world. And I think another word that's helpful is the word culture. Jesus brings His kingdom culture into our world. And I say that because we understand that word culture. Uh, For instance, some of you have switched jobs from one company to another. And when you do that, you recognize, oh, this this company, this organization has a very particular culture. right? It has a a way of doing things, a set of priorities. The, The office feels a certain way or you've moved uh, churches and you come to grace or, you know, come to another church and realize, oh, wow, this church has its own very unique culture. People, the the way they worship and the way they engage and what they really care about is is unique. And God's kingdom has its own culture, its own set of values and sensibilities and ways of being in this world. And so, we're going to look at for the next few months, what does it mean to, to live inside of God's kingdom. And today, uh, before we get to Jesus' teaching on the kingdom, we're going to start just with Jesus' basic announcement of the kingdom. And you see it in our passage in verse 17. Let me read it again. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So today we talk about just the announcement of this kingdom. And what I thought would be helpful to do this This week is to acknowledge that when Jesus announces this kingdom, um, he's not speaking to people who are just a blank slate, right? Just speaking into nothingness. No, but he's, he's speaking to people who are already pursuing their own kingdoms, Right, their own agendas and, and priorities and values and, and visions of what life is like. And what I want to do is actually give us a little lay of the land of first century Judaism this morning and, and some of the kingdoms that were at play at that time that Jesus then brings his kingdom into. So I'm going to mention four different kinds of people, kinds of kingdoms in the first century. So first you had uh, the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the ruling elite of the day. They uh, were based in Jerusalem. They were connected with the whole temple system. And uh, they held the religious and political positions of power in Israel. And uh, theirs was a kingdom of compromise. Like they looked at the Roman Empire And they looked at Rome and said, Rome is just, it is an unstoppable force. You're not going to beat Rome, right? Rome is the future. You need to figure out how to get on board with Rome or you're going to be irrelevant. And so they they kind of engaged in this kingdom of compromise. They compromised their ethics. They compromised some of their religious views so that they could stay in power and stay relevant. A second group, the one that we probably know the most, is you had the group, the, the Pharisees. Uh, And the Pharisees were actually a group of lay religious leaders and they pursued this kingdom, not of compromise, but this kingdom of law-keeping. They looked at their history and they they read their history and they realized the reason we got kicked off the land in the first place is because we didn't obey Torah. We didn't keep God's laws. And so they embarked on this kingdom of strict Torah observance, law-keeping. They pursued a righteousness through the law which was really this life of moral achievement. And the problem with that, of course, was their pursuit of righteousness gradually turned into self-righteousness. And they uh, lived their lives from this this prideful place of, of outward observance to certain laws, but their hearts were not humble, their hearts were not full of love and worship of God, and they really looked down on people that couldn't achieve morally like they could. Another group of, of, that, of the first century were the zealots. And these were the revolutionaries of the day. They had a kingdom of revolution. And what they wanted to do is they, they wanted to fight back with Rome. And they wanted to win the land back for God. And they fought the world with the weapons of the world. These were revolutionists. And there were many, many revolutions. They all failed at the time. But Jesus actually had a, a zealot in his inner circle of the Twelve. But it was a kingdom of revolution, fighting Trying to win the land back, fighting with the weapons of the world. And then finally, a fourth group kind of took the opposite attack to revolution, and this was the Essenes. And they engaged in a kingdom of what I would call withdrawal. Um, they looked at the whole system, Israel, they said the whole thing is hopeless, it's fundamentally compromised, and we're not gonna win that battle. And so what they did is they withdrew and they set up their own community in the desert of Qumran. It's just this isolated sect of people who were able to kind of in their own way create their own little community and pursue purity uh, as they saw fit and not in the context of just the, the ordinary issues all throughout uh, of the nation at the time. All right, so I, I just wanna put these, these four groups and kingdoms on the screen for a second, just so you can see uh, these various kingdoms and these various kingdom agendas. And I I take the time to do that, not because I'm trying to give you a a first century history lesson, but as I thought about these, I think we can all relate to these four as these basic impulses of the human heart, even uh, as 21st century Americans. So let's just tease this out for a second. Um, I think we relate to all four of these impulses, or at various times we do. Think about first the Sadducees and this this impulse to compromise to compromise with the culture in order to stay relevant i mean that's something that we we all see and are are tempted towards and we have not the roman empire but we have things like secularism right that are just sweeping through the nation they feel like these almost unstoppable forces secularism with its its relativism its value personal autonomy consumerism and it's easy to think man this is the future like like um this is just the inevitable direction of progress. You don't want to be on the right, wrong side of that. And so what we, we are tempted to do is, is compromise, to abandon core biblical doctrines, core ethical biblical visions of, of life in order to remain relevant, in order to be a part of what seems like where things are headed. Or of course you have the uh, temptation of Phariseeism, of, of law keeping, to, to try to earn our way through moral achievement to try to be good, to try our best to be good as a way of defining our lives. And of course, just as with the Pharisees, that kind of pursuit of righteousness um, with that can crop up this self-righteousness in the human heart. And that self-righteousness can take so many different forms. I mean, there are those who are kind of right-leaning, who have a a set of things and behaviors and actions that you need to avoid, actions you need to pursue, and they can be very self-righteous and look down on those who don't quite fit in with how they want things to be. Uh, there are those who are left-leaning, and they have a different set of agendas and, and actions and priorities that they pursue. And in the same way, if, if you don't you know, do it that way, say it that way, think that way, um, then you can experience a lot of self-righteousness. It can, it can happen in all kinds of forms, but that basic posture of the heart of moral achievement that leads to self-righteousness is so common today. Or think about the zealots, that, that impulse to want to win the land back for God, right? And we see that throughout our country all the time right now, to, to fight the world uh, with the weapons of the world and to play the world's game in its own way. We just saw that this week at our capital, right? People trying to, to fight the world with the weapons of the world. And that's always a, a tendency and a temptation of the human heart. And then that fourth one, the, the scenes. many of us, I think, can relate to just this impulse to just want to withdraw, to look at the whole thing, and go, it all feels so, so dark and hopeless, and um, let's just withdraw, and um, let's just, you know, kind of get insular and protect our lives and our families and do our own little thing and let the world kind of take care of itself. So all of these impulses, I think, have been around forever, and um, they're all really understandable and all relatable, and yet the problem is every single one of them at core is is ultimately rooted in our own human attempts to try to control our lives, to try to, to try to justify our lives or protect our lives or secure our lives. And so they're ultimately all very small and narrow and human. And into all of these human kingdoms, Jesus brings this announcement. And here it is: the kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. And Matthew's the only one who uses that phrase of the heavens. All the other gospel writers say the kingdom of God. Matthew says the kingdom of heavens. And and why he does that, I think, is he wants to remind us this is no earthly kingdom. This is a heavenly kingdom. It is the kingdom of the beyond. (laughs) It is a kingdom that is beyond your control, beyond your agenda, beyond your ability to to fit it into your categories. It's so much bigger. It's so much broader than all of that. And most importantly, it's not yours. It's God's. It is the beyond kingdom that comes from heaven to you as sheer gift from God. The kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Now, let me just for a moment, let me just broadly describe the contours, the landscape of this kingdom that Jesus brings. As we look at the Gospels, the four Gospels, um, I would say there's four basic realities we see in Jesus' life and ministry that kind of give us the contours of what God's kingdom is all about. So we mentioned four. There's more than this, but four. Um, First, there are the meals that Jesus shares with people. His table fellowship with people. And what is communicated in that, especially in the first century, what a meal meant is the extravagant grace of God that is now available to very broken people. And that's what the kingdom is all about. The, the acceptance, the invitation, the, the warmth to very broken be, people because of the extravagant grace of God in Jesus Christ. And in that, a radical reshuffling of who's in and who's out. And that's what His kingdom is all about. Another thing would be to look at Jesus' healings and miracles that happen all over the Gospels. And really what I think they communicate is, is God's desire and God's power to restore broken image bearers into the people God intended them to be, to, to bring healing, to move people towards wholeness, to reintegrate people who have been disintegrated. And you see Jesus healing people physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Some are very dramatic, some are more like what we see all the time today. But we see in these healings God's power to bring restoration to human beings. Third, of course, we'd have to talk about Jesus' teaching, and that's what we're going to spend our time on in the next three months. But what you see throughout Jesus' teaching, I think, in essence, is is the Creator's design for human flourishing. It is God's ethical vision of life, of relationships, of religion, of money, of of everything. It is is, uh, the vision of what God has for life, ultimately Jesus' teaching also gives us a vision of God himself, of who he is, what he's actually like. And then finally, I think we would have to also note Jesus' humility, his, his service, his suffering, and of course, his death. You see this whole scope of how he engages in his life up to even the cross itself. And that paints for us, I think, the fundamental posture of God's kingdom, that it comes not through human power and status and prestige, but it comes through humility, through service, through sacrificial love. All right, so let me just put those on the screen for a second, just so you can see the broad contours of God's kingdom, what God is up to in Jesus, and what we'll be exploring in the next three months. And let me just end by going back to what I said a moment ago. This idea that this kingdom that Jesus brings is the kingdom of the heavens. It is the kingdom of the beyond. That is, it is a kingdom that comes that is beyond our control and our agenda and all the kingdoms that we try to set up for ourselves. Here's how I want want to leave us at the front end of this. Jesus' announcement of the kingdom is always two things at the same time. It is always an invitation And it is always a confrontation. (laughs) It's an invitation into the very thing that you are created for. Into the very thing that will give you deep meaning and purpose and ultimate fulfillment for all eternity. You are being invited into that which will fully satisfy you. But at the same time, it is also a confrontation. And here's the confrontation. You will have to abandon your own kingdoms in order to enter into this kingdom. Because this kingdom will be at odds with a lot of the ways that you live your life and think about life. And so you're gonna be forced to decide, am I gonna hold up fast to my kingdom agendas or am I gonna let go so that I can enter into God's kingdom? And that's why we have this word, I think, uh, in verse 17 before the announcement, which is this word, repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I like uh, Mark's version in Mark 1.15, Mark includes another word that Jesus said. I'm going to put it on the screen. Here's how it reads in Mark's version. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Those two words together, I think, capture the essence of the announcement. Repent and believe. Repentance and belief are the doorway into the kingdom of heaven. Repent. We've talked about that word recently. It just means to turn from. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to have to turn from all your human kingdoms. There are so many things that you're going to have to let go of if you want to be a part of this kingdom. You're going to have to let go of your agenda, your plans, um, your priorities, your reputation, your safety, your security, all the ways that you've tried to construct a life that make you feel secure or significant or in control or justified or any of that. You're going to have to let go of that ultimately you're going to have to let someone else be king and that's not easy to do and so you have to repent but secondly with that repentance you have to believe and really that's just the basic word for faith you got to trust which means you you got to open yourself up to what god is doing and you have to trust him you have to trust his control over your life you have to trust in his provision for your life you have to trust in His grace for your life. You have to trust in the new identity that He wants to give you. You have to trust in the way of life that He invites you into. You have to trust that ultimately you will find greater meaning and purpose and fulfillment in His kingdom than in yours. So you got to let go of your kingdom, and you got to just start trusting in what He's up to in this world and what He's up to in your life. Repent and believe. That is always the doorway into the kingdom of heaven. So I'd like to end by just leading us in a prayer, a prayer at the beginning of this year um, that we might be open to entering into God's kingdom in a fresh way in this new year. So would you pray with me? So I want us to consider with God these two words, repent and believe. And at the beginning of this year, as you're still considering your, your priorities and plans for this year, Let's just spend a moment with each of those words. First, repent. Um, Where do you need to repent? And what I mean by that is, where do you need to let go? Why don't you just take a moment with God to see, can I identify something that I need to be willing to let go of if I'm going to enter into what God has for me this year? Uh, Maybe you just need to let go of control. You've been You've been trying so hard to control your life. Maybe there's a particular agenda that you have for this year that you actually need to let go of if you're going to embrace what God has for you, or a particular pursuit, or maybe there's a particular preoccupation that's been on your mind so much that you need to let go of, or, or even a sin that you need to you need to turn from, or a certain attitude that you're carrying that uh, is not aligned with God's kingdom. Why don't you just take a moment to try to identify just one thing today that you might begin to release and let go of so that you can enter into what God has for you. And now let's look at this word, believe. Um, Where is God inviting you at the beginning of this year trust Him, uh, to let go and to, to just trust what He has for you. And maybe there's a particular uh, situation or challenge in your life right now that you, you just need to entrust. You just need to hand it over and say, God, I trust you with this. Maybe you need to trust Him with provision in this new year. Maybe there's a relationship, a person that you need to trust Him with. Maybe you need to trust Him with even your, your identity this year, your, your sense of meaning and purpose, that you're, you're trying so hard to gain it in certain ways. You just need to just hand that over to Him and trust Him with that. What is one thing that you need to entrust to God today? Take a moment to do that. So, Lord, we are grateful for the way your Son has brought us your kingdom, the already-not-yet kingdom. And we long to live more fully in line with your purposes and your vision and your values for us. So we entrust ourselves to you. We turn from our own little small, narrow kingdom agendas, that we might step into your broad, expansive, gracious, powerful, beautiful kingdom. Help us by your Spirit to do that, even this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope that you've been encouraged uh, by this morning's time. And as always, we invite you to consider the reflection questions that we'll put on the screen right after this. And let me leave you with this well-known and beautiful benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all now and always. Amen.